This is SciBite, episode 101, for September 10th, 2013. Hi, everyone, and welcome to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast, fresh on Wednesday mornings over at jupiterbroadcasting.com and live Tuesday nights over at jblive.tv. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather. Happy science to you. Happy science. So what are we going to talk about this week? Today, we're going to take a look at hibernation, suspended animation, Apollo 11 engines, Earth in pixels, Summer updates, curiosity news, and as always, take a peek back into history and up in the sky this week. Oh, I'm excited. It's good to be back from the 2013 summer break. And uh, I know well, that you actually, had a break. yeah, while I was on break, you actually were still going on, weren't you? You were moving ahead. Yes, we over at uh, created a YouTube channel and summer, there were summer side bites. Nice. And uh, huge thank you to Nikki. She was my awesome science co host for the summer. That is I put, great. Uh, Link in the show notes to the YouTube channel. They were a bit shorter episodes, but we well, that happens. We we w- moved on, and there was summer science to have. Well, very good. And so, yeah, big thank you to Nikki for uh, helping out with that. And Heather, like she said, at the top of the show notes, we'll have a link to that YouTube channel. So, if you guys, if you missed out on some of the science and something, you know, you guys know stuff. Some really interesting stuff is actually happening over the summer. And if you want to get the details up, you know, for what happened, I bet that's where you'd find it is right there in that there YouTube channel. That's so. All right, Heather. Well, with that out of the way, I say it's time we kick off the news. All right. Where are we going to start tonight? Hibernation and suspended animation. For people? Well, that's the question. Okay. Of course, these stories are kind of like, can we do it for people? Question mark. Yeah, because I'm like Eye- eyebrow raised. I'm like I'm first thing, and this is maybe a sad indication is economical vacation comes into mind. <laughs> oh, I, I go into like a sleep. I go into a sleep staycation where I get all into my bed and I just hibernate for a good month, and oh. then I wake up and I'm more refreshed than ever. Right, Heather? And then you're good to go for a while without sleep again. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking so. <laughs> 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 all right, well, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe that's bad science. Yeah, well, there are these, the only primates, the fat-tailed dwarf lemurs are the only primates that actually hibernate. Now, they go into this hibernation for like eight months without really sleeping, per se. It's not, quote-unquote, straight-up sleeping. Now, the breathing slows down to like one breath every 20 minutes. The heart rate goes from like a normal 200 beats a minute to like four beats per minute, not wow. 40, just four. Wow. So they survive about three quarters of the year without deep sleep, which generally means without deep sleep, um, humans are not happy campers. Right. And in fact, there's a, a lack of, you know, ability for your brain to function at a certain point. Mm-hmm. So the scientists wanted to go out there and, you know, check out their brainwaves, except checking the brainwaves includes putting probes on the head and lemurs in these lemurs in captivity don't hibernate. 
But they had to go to the wilds, which means going to Madagascar and trying to, you know, pick up brainwaves off these little lemurs. In the wild? Which, like, just, here, yeah. let, let, let me put these little and, sensors on your head. Now, just run around. It's cool. Don't bother. Don't scratch them off. They're not going to, they're, they're not sleeping, but, you know, pretty much not doing anything. Yeah, okay, Except okay. they do their little hibernation 40 feet off the ground in the middle of the forest in Madagascar. So the researchers found that, like, okay, when it's a certain temperature, they will ha- they be in only REM sleep. So then they had to, like, climb up. They did all this climbing, and they made little boxes that were just, like, the lemurs would be really happy in. So then they, like, hooked it up and tried to measure all of these. They made them little hotel rooms. Yeah, they made them hotel rooms so <laughs> they could stick electrodes to their little lemur heads <laughs> and read that they were just doing... REM sleep. It wasn't deep sleep. It was only REM. Like, you know, the dreaming type of sleep. Mm-hmm. So, we've seen that in, uh, th- back in 89, there was a sleep deprivation study that actually said, hey, they kept these t- poor 10 rats. They derived them of non-REM sleep. And they got very, very sick. And after a month, they were dead rats. Wow. Oh, Wow. See, I struggle with sleep issues because I have sleep apnea. Diagnosed yeah, pretty severe sleep apnea, too. Yeah, and anyone with, you know, a kid under the age of X realizes there's a lack of sleep involved well, oh as well. Oh, my gosh. But there is... Now, each person is different. You know, there are some people who function much better with so many hours of sleep. I've known a guy who... One of the dozen people across the U.S. that pretty much survive off, like... Uh, an hour of sleep. Oh, that'd be horrible. And that's it. I could not do it, Heather. And I could not do it. Don't necessarily sleep every night. He just got to like, be like, I'm going to find a calm center. And he would do math equations all night. You know, when I was younger, I was able to, uh, when I was in my early 20s, I, I would work a 24-hour shift and then I would come home and I would screw off and watch TV and play video games and, you know, be fine. But these days... I find if I don't go to bed around 10, 30, 11, I'm just completely exhausted. And I think the sleep apnea plays a role in that. And and I notice, you mentioned like memory and things like that. I notice like uh, I have almost no short-term memory when my sleep apnea is acting up. So mm-hmm. if I like, it's one of those things where say maybe I'm sitting in my office and I, I decide I need to get up and go to the kitchen. I will forget <laughs> by the time I walk to the kitchen, which is about 20, 30 steps from my office, I will forget <laughs> why I went to the kitchen by that time. And I and I'm like, oh, I guess my sleep apnea is acting up, and that's usually one of my first indicators. Like, is this massively reduced mental capacity? Wow, <laughs> it's horrible, Heather. It's horrible. Yeah, so it's like yeah. sleep apnea machine just like puts a sticky note on your forehead, like "Bing, today right. is not a thinking day." Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so, no, ma- no amount of coffee helps. Yeah, but so yeah. then they took that and they're like, okay, well, let's see if we can. So it's not quite hybrid. Nation, but we're looking for suspended animation. So they did these, spent, use these rats, sit with them in a chilly suspended animation. After they had to inject them with a certain compound because when your body temperature starts losing, if you're not a hibernating mammal, your the as your temperature starts to fall, then there are like fail safes that kick into action. Blood fast blood vessels near your skin. Squeeze tight. They kind of try to hold the, the warmth in. The body starts to shiver. Mm. That's actually trying to stay warm right. in some way. So it's doing all these defenses to try to say, don't freeze. 
So they had to, they injected a compound that's very similar to, I'm going to say this wrong, adenosine. Anyway, it's a molecule in the body that actually signals sleepiness, which we were just talking about pretty much. So they cooled this room to about 15 degrees C. They grew really lethargic. They were moving all slow. The brain waves started slowing down. Their blood pressure dropped. And their heart rate went down, skipped beats. So it, the, rat, the core temperature of the rats actually went, fr- went down. So they weren't in a coma, nor were they asleep Ooh. or hibernating. So because hibernating, the metabolism drops much lower and the temperature drops much lower. Like the Arctic squirrel hibernates properly so and they you, see it's you touched on this but you said that it has to be just the right temperature like 72 degrees outside so it's like is that because otherwise their bodies would get too cold and they would die it's certainly possible huh. you know i didn't read into that part of specifically of the story as much but yeah it would make sense that well it's not going to get much cooler in madagascar yeah that's true <laughs> that's nice but actually. yeah you would if you're not moving and it's in that sort of a not really awake, not fully asleep state, then it would need to be a certain temperature so that your body could, you know, be okay if your brain waves were just kind of chilling and not doing much. Yeah, interesting. I'd like to have this. So hopefully they'll unlock it for humans. Yes. I mean, that's, you know, and for the rats, they put them in this suspend animation. And of course, then the most important part is, yes, they raised the temperature of the room and then they were okay. And about 12 hours later, they were kind of inky, Drinking and eating and all happy and alert. Right. Their body must just tell them, okay, when it gets to this temperature, it's time to wake up. Yeah. So that that would be the key is, can it come to humans at one point and all the various reasons? And then one of the major reasons is for uh, medical reasons. If you need to Mm. put your, can you put this on halt until you can get an organ transplant and until you can get more time to deal with, some sort of illness or disease or how many people like where they have a, where they have some sort of injury where movement exasperates the problem. And if they would just stay still, it would heal a lot faster. So maybe you sleep for two weeks and so your body can heal. I mean, there could be certain injuries where it's actually, you know, good to induce a long-term sleep. And I, I could, I mean, obviously, obviously my mind jumps to space travel. I mean, that's immediately where I go to, but I do love the much more down to earth uh, concepts of oh you know you're you you're you're about to have heart failure you're about to have a you know a, a collapsed lung or whatever it is I don't yeah. know sleep until we get you a new part I think that's pretty yeah. brilliant too well, I mean as it is now they when they they put you know for heart um, transplants and various things they put the body in a cold state trying to slow the metabolism as much as they can of course they can't get it as far as here but so they're trying to take it as steps further. Very interesting. All right. Well, any other thoughts on that story? Not yet. All right. Well, keep us posted. Then uh, let's uh, take a quick little break right here because I've got some good news. So uh, a lot of you know that one of the ways that Jupiter Broadcasting uh, pays the bills is by our affiliate system. And we have links at the bottom of the Jupiter Broadcasting site. Those have been there for a while now. If you click there for like Amazon or Newegg or Netflix or ThinkGeek or Best Buy, we'll get a little portion of that shopping session. Doesn't cost you anymore. Doesn't cost you a thing, actually. And it helps us out, and we really appreciate that. Now, we just updated the Chrome and Firefox extensions, just put out new updates, and they make, uh, on the Firefox side, they improve compatibility with the newer versions of Firefox and performance, 
And on, on both sides, uh, we've added Woot.com, lovewoot.com, Monoprice is in there, which isn't linked in the bottom of our website. But the other thing we've done is we've also set them to be a little bit more intelligent about the way they handle uh, affiliate tagging. So if you have uh, another website you're at uh, and, and they have an Amazon affiliate link to something and you want to buy something from their page and support them, our extension will now say, oh, you've clicked on an intentionally tagged link. Let me remove the JB tag for you and make sure I don't override. Now to do that, that, that's a little bit of change of how we handle the URLs, which triggers the uh, prompt for reactivation by Chrome and I think maybe Firefox. Not sure about that last one. Anyways, in Chrome, for sure, by right now, the JB extension is off in your browser. Unless you have gone back in and into the uh, hamburger menu, that's the options menu, that little three-line menu. You click that and you re-enable that extension, turns it right back on, and now you have the new improved JB extension that's even a better netizen and and has improvements on the Firefox side if you're a Firefox user. And, of course, on the Chrome side, it's pretty awesome, too. And the, and the code for those is up on GitHub if you'd like to check them out. And Heather and I always like to make a recommendation here on the SciBite Show because there's a few things yes. we love in this world, and a lot of them have usually a sci-fi element to them. <laughs> Maybe. This week's pick Maybe. is no different. It is Star Trek Into Darkness, which is now out on Blu-ray. Have you seen it yet, Heather? Not quite yet. <laughs> okay. I have been... Looking forward to it with such anticipation. So um, I won't spoil anything. So what I will, I'll just tell you this. I didn't realize it until I'd, I'd seen it this, actually my third time. And um, what I realized on the third viewing is the the visuals, the, the special effects in this movie are so good that A, you don't even, you're not even aware. I mean, there's obviously sometimes using special effects like big spaceships, right? But yeah. you don't you don't know when you go from real to space to special effects, and it took me three viewings to even realize how incredible the special effects were. They're so incredible and so well done, you don't even think about them. I mean, it's truly, without question, the best looking Star Trek visually that I have ever ever seen. I mean, it is maybe the best movie I saw in 2013. I haven't seen a lot of movies recently, but it was quite good. So wow. a hearty recommendation. And right now, 19.99 on Amazon for the Blu-ray, which includes a digital copy. There's a few different versions of this Blu-ray out there. The ones on Amazon have some pretty good special features. And that, that's not the case necessarily with the ones in the stores. It's one of the things they're doing with this Blu-ray that I'm not a big fan of is different retailers have different special features on the disc, and that's not very oh. clear. Amazon's got one of the better deals, so if you use the link in our show notes, a portion of that shopping session will be contributed to the Jupiter Broadcasting Network and help us pay our bills, which are many and multi and lots and other words that make things sound like a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Well, Heather, when you do see it, let me know. I'm yes. really curious to hear your thoughts on that because I'm of a mixed mind on the movie and there's definitely elements that I like a lot and there's elements that eh, not so hot on, not so hot on. Yeah. All right, Heather, well, with that file, that means it's time for the News Bite. Where does the News Bite bring us this week? It brings us to the Apollo 11 engines. As it should, as it should. Yes, talked about this a few times before on SciBytes back on SciBite 40, back on 98. I actually mentioned it on uh, Summer SciBite, where you know they were looking for, they would decided to go uh, look for um, Jeff Bezos, the Amazon.com founder and CEO, said, hey, I'm interested in going to look for the engines that could have come from the Apollos. I love it. If I ever, so, if I'm ever, like if Jupiter Broadcasting gets huge and I become like a crazy billionaire CEO, I'm doing this kind of stuff. So then he's like, all right, well, let's track the path of where the Apollo 11 engines would have been. So he tracks that path, then he dives under the ocean, finds these engines, starts bringing them up. So then they say, okay, we have engines. They're from the Apollo 11 era, 
but it wasn't until they actually were cleaning these up that they found one piece of um, of the engine that had a serial number stamped on it. And that serial number, they were actually able to go back into NASA's records and identify it as from Apollo 11. Wow. So now they, I mean, they had to use a black light and special lens filters. Now this is being restored at the Kansas Cosmosphere in Hutchington, Kansas. I've seen when they had the Liberty Bell 7 and they were, this is the people who actually restored that. And I remember I was there at the time and it was behind a, a, a big sign. But if I, I may have stood on my toes and leaned way over the railing at a certain point <laughs> and, and been able to catch some of it. But so they're, you know, behind glass and you could see them restoring. And it's been under the ocean for 40 years. I mean, it landed with a crunch on the ocean. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm surprised, A, it wasn't destroyed during then. And B, I mean, an incredible, incredible find to actually find Apollo 11. Yeah. So, I mean, well, that was the whole, that yeah. was really what he was looking for is following the track of that specific item. So now they are, they're going through, it's going to take like two years to like complete the conser- conservation project. And so if you go happen to be there, then you can actually see behind the glass that the, as they, as they restore it, they have sort oh. of paneling that you can just kind of look behind. Now, NASA technically still owns it because they launched it. They own everything they have now. So they will decide where it will live. Now, this is the part where Chris looks out because Bezos is from Washington. Yes, and so he's yes. like, can we have some, he wants some of the engine parts displayed at the museum of flight in Seattle. Oh, that'd be great. Now, most likely some of them will bend up at the Smithsonian would be my guess. Um, but there's enough pieces and parts around that he's, that he may be able to get a little leeway on that. And will be like, okay, well, he we did do a lot of the heavy lifting here <laughs> to be fair. He literal should get, heavy lifting. Yeah. <laughs> Literal heavy under I mean, the it was, water. It, it sounds like it was a job that was just too big for NASA to really budget. And they're like, well, we can't. I mean, I'm sure if NASA had a huge budget, they'd love to have done it and restore it yeah. themselves. But Yeah. Wow. Some of these pictures are incredible. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, definitely go to the show notes. If you're not watching the video, check out the pictures. There's links. You can see how eroded some of these pieces are as they pulled them out of the ocean and how much work. Yeah. It will take to kind of go through all these and clean them up. But, you know, it's part of our human history. It's like a big part yeah. of our more recent human history. And so um, it is good to preserve these and pull them out while we can, because if they sit down there for too long, they might not be recoverable. Yeah. So I won't know until for a while if it's going to hit the Museum of Flight here in Seattle. Just going to take yeah, them a long not- time, won't it? Yeah, it's going to be two years for just the restoration. So there'll there'll probably be some long, hard thinking during that time. And then once it's restored, they'll probably say, okay, now what kind of, what kind of um, situation are they all in? How do they all look? How many pieces have we been able to put together? So I find it fascinating. And it's such a great idea that, uh, that uh, they are doing a, um, it's behind glass. You can go see it. I mean, that's just, it's really geeky, but I'd love to do it. Oh yeah. I remember when I was there, there's just, when I was there for the Liberty Bell 7, it just wasn't quite ready for that. And it's just literally like this big room. There's a railing and then just huge windows where you can just kind of see into the area where they do all the uh, reconstruction and everything like that. Restoration. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, The only only thing I have like that in my neck of the woods is a Krispy Kreme up the highway that uh, has glass behind the... Never mind. That's not important. All right, Heather, any other thoughts on that one? 
Not yet, but oh. I will keep everyone posted on everything that's going to happen with those. All right, let me dust off the band. They've been uh, on vacation for the summer, so I'm not sure. Uh-oh. Uh, let's see. Come on, guys. What do you got? All right. Ready? There we go. <laughs> All right, Heather. So I got the band in, and they yes. pretty good job. We'll see how they do. The show's not over yet. Um, where is where are we at? Two byte news. What, what's in the two byte news? All right. Once again, I am reminded of the pale blue dot image, where the entirety of human history and all those peoples, down to a few pixels, the Cassini spacecraft from Saturn was taking a picture, and it was. It was looped around the back side of Saturn. So the sun, it was on the opposite side of the sun. So it was looking at the rings of Saturn. And they knew it was going to be able to, if they had it at a specific moment, that there actually was going to be Earth in the background. Oh. So they had this big little event. And they're like, all right, everyone, the picture's going to be taken at this time. So everybody Photo look up, up and, and wave. They had this literal event where they were out in front of NASA. They're like, wave, everyone. So everyone waves. Wow. Because I had this, there is this picture of Earth from Saturn. It's just a couple of pixels big. Kind of puts it in perspective, huh? Yes, but it it definitely reminded me of that. I talked about on another one of the uh, Summer Sci-Bite episodes. But yeah, you can see Earth, and then you can actually see the moon as well. Adorable. They, They look like a, it looks like a big brother, little brother. Yes. And that little little punk uh, moon is just following around uh, the big brother Earth. Kind of is. And we're on that little dot, which is kind of uh, both equally um, depressing and inspiring. Depressing? <laughs> well, only because uh, so much strife over the territory on that tiny little dot, that tiny little itty bitty dot. It kind of makes it all seem a little insignificant. More people need to be looking at these pictures because I think oh. it would help people think about things a little bit. Uh, all right. Well, that's a good one, Heather. So, well, she has a link to that. In fact, links to everything we've talked about in the show notes so far, and uh, including a link to uh, the Summer Sidebite August 1st edition, where they talked about that. Sounds like a good one. All right, Heather. Well, guess what? It has been a little bit since we've been on the air, so we've got some updates. Yes, we talked about the Planetary Resources, their little Kickstarter telescope that they're getting up. Oh, yeah. They were able, they actually got up to the uh, 1 million... I think one and a half million going on. They had another hope, another like step. They said, hey, if we get this far, then we'll start doing... Um, stretch goals. They had stretch goals for know, that stuff. They had stretch goals. They weren't able to get it as far as planetary, you know, exoplanet searching. But they were able to get uh, 1.5 million in 33 days. Oh, okay. So, you- so, so that's, I mean, 1.5 million, that's enough to shoot something up into space, right? Yep, they were goal was just uh, one million. Okay, they were able to do that in pretty quick. So they they were kind of looking at it. Showed an average of like forty five thousand dollars a day. Hmm. An average donation of like eighty five bucks. People are excited. Eighty five yep. bucks is nothing to sneeze at. No, I mean there were quite a few people who were taking the uh, the selfie. That's where they were Right, this saying, is the one that has the screen built in. That, that yeah, it had the screen built in, and you can display your image, and it'll take that picture in orbit. And now these guys, uh, Planetary Resources, they're also local to me. They're in Bellevue, Washington, which is only pff, like a 35-minute drive from my house. See? I know. I know. Washington's great. <laughs> you wouldn't, like, out of the space states, you know, in the aerospace states, 
Washington is not one of the top ones that comes up in my mind. Yeah, I guess so, right? Yeah, yeah. It, well, I guess maybe as uh, you know what it is, as as tech becomes more involved with space and the space stuff gets a little more commoditized at, and more into the consumer levels, there are tech companies in Washington. You know, we've got Microsoft True. and Amazon and Nintendo's U.S. division is here, and and I could go on and on. We've got quite a bit, so maybe that's what's maybe that's what's going on. Um, all right, any other thoughts on that one? Not that I could think of. Oh, Kick Track, yeah, Kick Track is the one you mentioned that shows where they raise forty five k a day. Yeah, that's a great site. That's a good one for people who are interested in Kickstarter projects. Kicktrack dot com. All right, other than uh, do we have clearance to uh, lift off to uh, Mars? I think we do. And lift off of the Atlas V with curiosity. Touchdown confirmed. We're safe on Mars. Yes. Oh, um, that ended oh. a little sooner than I remembered. So uh, what's going on with that curiosity rover up there? What's it been up to? All right. It has been taking pictures of its moons. Oh, nice. Over the summer. I talked about it on uh, one or two side bites. In one image, they were actually able to watch as one of the moons passed in front of the other. They were able to take a number of snapshot pictures. Awesome. And in another one, they actually see the larger of the two moons went in front of the sun. So it's not like our moon is like a perfect fit. Now, sometimes when our moon, it's, it's various distances away from the Earth. And when it's really close, when it's close enough, you'll have this ring of fire, as they call it, where it's a little bit of the sun... It still shows around the moon. It's called an annular eclipse. It means not like fully. And so that was able, that's what this did is it just kind of passed in front of the sun and there's various um, snapshots that they t- took of it. And of course they can smash them together and make a little video of as the moon passes in front of the sun. That's my favorite just, thing. Yep. So it's not, and it's not just photo ops that this is for. What it is, it's helping is narrow down the orbital information. Of these moons. Oh, okay. So they're able to say, we have a rough idea of how they're moving and where they are and how their orbits are changing, but this really gives closer definitions of finding the exact. Yeah. Oh, of course, right? Yeah, and especially when you can correlate it to something you observe up above and you correlate it to what the uh, rover is getting down below and what we can observe from Earth and you get three points of data and Bob's your uncle, you got a pretty good picture of what's going on. You do. I like that. Uh, is that kind of, is that really the, is that the highlight since we've been gone? Uh, it was most of it. I mean, this is, we're still in the, uh, the driving kind of, stage. Yep, yep, They're yep. still in the, in the, uh, driving around to different places. There've been a, a couple of different things, but that was the two big highlights that I really liked. Uh, I love the, the pictures time. from that. You guys should check out the pictures Heather has in the show notes. They're really cool. I mean, it's, uh, it's just little things that remind you that that's another place you could live. It's like another real place. And there's they have a moon or moons and there's eclipses. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Speaking of things that are pretty cool, why don't you step into the time machine, Heather? Now, I charged right. it up this morning, but I got to warn you, you, I haven't traveled in, back in time since we've done the show oh, last. No. So I don't know what's going right. to happen, but here we go, Heather. Here we go. Okay. Ah. Oh, I don't remember installing that disco ball. That is very odd, but uh, you could probably that tell by the... Uh, I know, but it was fun. You could probably tell by the vibrations. We almost hit the 200-year mark on uh, this time travel. This one is 191 years ago. takes us to September 17th, 1822. What happened this week in science, Heather? The Rosetta Stone was deciphered. Now, Rosetta Stone, you know, you see the little commercials and it's blah, blah, blah. But no, it was actually a chunk of tablet. 
that had three different languages on it they saw. And so they were trying to figure out exactly what was going on. They found it. It was originally unearthed in 1799 by Napoleon's army. And so then it kind of went through the, the works and they saw hieroglyphics on it. So able to decipher those starting in 1808. And so then did some fragmentary work and they're actually able to finally get it. Now it's kind of, it's not like a straight block. It had some pieces and chunks missing. So we'll say, all right, we know how to translate this. So it's like, all right, these are the words, and there's these other things, other languages that we can't translate yet, but we know all the words. So then they started going through and started trying to translate everything back and say, all right, this is what we think this says, this is what we think this says, and they were finally able to complete the translation 190 years ago this week. Wow. And isn't that interesting how some of these things just stay in our parlance? Like uh, Rosetta Stone, uh, uh, we're familiar with the commercials now, and there's also been a lot of software on uh, on uh, called Rosetta Stone. Um, Apple had used the term Rosetta for a compatibility layer to translate old types of uh-huh. applications to uh, new types of instruction sets. So this this terminal, you know, this Rosetta Stone, hundred. I had no idea it was 191 years ago that we finally cracked it based on just how frequently it's used today. It's very common. Yeah. Very cool. All right, well, I'll recalibrate the Cybite 2000 so that way we can look up into the sky this week. Alrighty, on Friday, September the 13th, about an hour before sunset, look to the west to southwest, and you'll see Saturn, six degrees to the upper left of Venus. Now, five degrees is roughly three fingers, that's your ring finger, to your pointer finger, held at arm's length. So if you hold that up at arm's length, you'll always see Saturn and Venus just the other side of each other. Now, of course, Venus is going to be the brighter of the two, but Saturn is the higher to the left, like it has its rings, like it's flying higher. In general, we've got Venus and Saturn in the evening twilight, low in the west to southwest. And they're getting closer and closer as the week goes by until Friday when they're the six degrees apart. Mars and Venus are hanging out before and during dawn. Poor Mars and... Oh, sorry, Mars and Jupiter. Hmm. So the two Jupiter's of us are the brighter out. one, even though Mars closer, huh? Yes. Okay. It's just so big. Yeah. But yeah, for Mars and Jupiter, we're dealing with before dawn okay. over in the east. So they're getting slowly farther in part from each other. But Jupiter the brighter, Mars to the lower left. Aw, Jupiter and Mars hanging out together for a little while. Yep. So while we were on summer break, they were hanging out. They were hanging out before dawn. And now that we're back doing the show, they're going their separate ways. Yep. Before dawn. All right. Well, Heather has all of that line outlined in the show notes. So if uh, you see something up in the sky, and you're like, what, what, the, what is that? Oh, let me go check the show notes. Just go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and then look for SciBite 101. And specifically, the looking up in the sky sections towards the bottom of the show notes. So you just jump down there and uh, she has it all laid out for you. Heather, anything else we want to cover before we get out of here? I don't think so. All right. Very good. Well, good, good, uh, good to be back, Heather. And uh, now we're moving on to uh, another 100 episodes. So don't forget, we need your feedback. You can email us, SciBite at JupiterBroadcasting.com or pop that contact link. And of course, we'd love to have you join us live on Tuesdays over JBLive.tv at 7.30 p.m. Pacific, which is, ooh, ooh, that's 2.30 in the morning, UTC, but uh, you do the math. And that's not too bad. All right, Heather. Well, uh, thanks for the great show and have a great week. Thank you. You too. All right, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode of SciBite. We'll see you right back here 
next week.